Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks for joining me on our first official off-season show of the Buffalo Beat. Of course, I'm sure the uh, overwhelming sentiments from the Bengals game still kind of hold strong for a lot of a lot of you out there that have invested so heavily in this team and the build and everything that the Bills have tried to do over the past six years. They fell up. They fell short. They came up short against a Bengals team that was point blank better in every way on the field on Sunday. And so, there's a lot of a lot of talk right now about the team, about the direction of the Bills, and everything along those lines that have led to a pretty big off season coming up. And I think. The only way to kind of go about this is just kind of set the tone for what's to come with the offseason, basing it off some of the things we heard from Locker Room Cleanout Day, from Sean McDermott, from Brandon Bean in his postseason press conference, or end-of-season press conference, I should say. There was a few takeaways. Um, I will say that, unlike a lot of years... I took away some less or less or fewer, I'm sorry, concrete items from the Brandon Bean press conference, even though it went 50 minutes long. I took away fewer items from that than normal because it, it just seemed like there wasn't a ton of substantial things said throughout that throughout that press conference. There were a few. And you can kind of read between the lines and and um and certainly analyze the tone of some answers as compared to you know how they might operate in the offseason so we'll get into a bunch of that stuff and of course try and figure out what this team is going to do what's step number one everything along those lines so so yeah a lot to get into and the bills made their well, I suppose the reserve futures deal deals were their first move of the offseason. But their second move of the offseason was to uh, let go of safeties coach Jim Salgado. And that's not usually the headliner and probably not the headliner that, you know, I think at least a, a good portion of the fans might have thought that could be on the way. I know... In, and this podcast and all of my writing certainly doesn't dissuade or take away from the fact that, you know, I've been saying that they should have a pretty serious conversation about Ken Dorsey and whether or not that's the direction they want to go um, in 2023. And I'm sure that's a pretty popular sentiment amongst Bills fans for the way the offense kind of 
kind of just didn't seem right throughout the entire regular season after the bye week. And then even a bit more surprisingly, um, the defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier came under fire a little bit from fans. And uh, I didn't get that as much as some of the Ken Dorsey stuff just because of how well liked he is in the locker room and, and how he has helped engineer just good defense after good defense one year after the next. And I know the, the counter argument to that is like, okay, well, what happened in the playoffs? But I will say that the Bengals were an absolute buzzsaw. <laughs> and that explains a lot of it. And the Bills came out playing flat. And the film just... The film was not surprising in the slightest bit. Like, exactly everything that you figured would would pop up on, on the All-22 for a game the way that that went, it just looked like a team that was completely outclassed and just getting beat all game long. I mean, there were some good plays every once in a while but like I went through a good portion of the first quarter without seeing a positive play from a Bills player and that that was an alarming factor as to just how they weren't why they weren't prepared for that game so um, maybe it was them running out of gas maybe it was them getting caught flat-footed by the Bengals some of that probably goes on Sean McDermott's register and that is a consideration for the future but anyone thinking that they're going to get rid of McDermott is just not being honest with themselves they're they are entrenched with McDermott after the year they had with all the adversity they went through and and to put together a 14 win season playoffs included it's just it's just a complete non-starter, no matter how they showed up against the Bengals in the divisional round. And I feel like Leslie Frazier is pretty close to that with with how their defense showed up uh, throughout the season. Fourth in DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. Um, getting through so many different injuries throughout the season. That was uh, another good job by Leslie Frazier in the regular season. And... The defense saved, you know, to put it bluntly, saved the Bills' asses against the Dolphins. I mean, for getting put in the positions that they were put in repeatedly, shortened fields, everything like that, and to only allow 24 points in that capacity, it was a, a, a great job by, by the Bills' defense to kind of fortify their efforts hold them to field goals almost exclusively and and go about and you know try and saving the game for the bills because the offense quite frankly didn't have it so that's why i was a little surprised or mostly surprised that there was such heat on leslie frazier and i don't even know if because twitter's so weird right like you you see you see a bunch of mentions about it or you see a comment or two under an article and it's like whoa i didn't i didn't see this heat coming but maybe it's just a loud few as opposed to the the thoughts of many i guess that's that's something to dig into but um but yeah that was at least somewhat surprising but the dorsey conversation i thought was a legitimate one 
only because we saw a bit of regression from the offense in ways that I didn't expect to see. Whether it was not being able to find that balance on offense as you know as it relates to the running game being effective i thought the the creativity was lacking for the entire season with uh with his play calls you know <laughs> there was one play against the Bengals where they where they put James Cook and Naheem Hines out there and this is a formation that hasn't worked since like the second game that they started using it and they put it out there and almost every time it's it's some sort of delayed handoff that that goes wide whether it's to Hines or to James Cook and predictably the play failed pretty miserably and as soon as I saw that that personnel grouping come out I'm like <laughs> unless you're doing something that completely breaks tendency, the defense knows what's coming because if I know what's coming, then the defense definitely knows what's coming when those two guys are on the field together. So that that's just like a small example of like a greater point as to why I thought, you know, maybe there was a Dorsey conversation to be had. But there are some extraneous factors here that go in Dorsey's favor. I mean, the offensive line play was not good. Was not good. They had a new offensive line coach. Uh, they were trying to figure out who they were, what blocking scheme worked best for them, and that's usually never a good situation on the fly uh, within a season. And I don't really know that they really ever found that identity for themselves. Like one week, it, one thing would work, and then it wouldn't work the next, and. It was uh it was a frustrating year for the offensive line in general, but we'll we'll get into that a bit more as as we go forward. Um, but so that kind of works in his favor. I think Josh Allen's elbow injury is also a factor that we have to consider regardless of results down the stretch. Because if he and he talked about, you know, for a while not being able to throw at a certain angle or or feeling it at a certain angle. And that's going to impact how he operates on a play-to-play basis. So that's a piece of the puzzle, too. And I know, back to the offensive line thing, even though Ken Dorsey is technically the controller of the entire offensive operation and he coordinates everything that's going on, I mean, there still has to be some accountability with the offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer, to put together a better unit than than what they saw. And it also goes to general manager Brandon Bean for putting together a more competitive offensive line than what they had and and having some some solid depth pieces that allow them to pivot off certain starters rather than just depending on the same five. Cuz this is a Bills team under Sean McDermott that has made a change on the offensive line to their starting lineup within the first month of the season, almost every single year. And this year, they didn't because they didn't have anybody. Their their primary backups were David Quesenberry, who uh, on my final grades for my All-22 was the lowest graded qualifying player that had at least 200 snaps. Greg Van Roten, who was the, I believe, the 
third or fourth lowest graded player on on my season long grades. And then you have like Butker and it's just they just never or Bobby Hart, who's another journeyman guy who they they didn't want to use at all at an offensive line position. They would rather have him as a as a sixth offensive lineman for for uh, run heavy packages. And like Bucker coming off a, a torn Achilles the previous season, like it's just a recipe for disaster if if the starting five didn't work out. And you could say like, oh, well, Tommy Doyle got hurt, but Tommy Doyle is was a fifth round rookie in 2021, or fifth round pick in 2021. Like the, he's not he's not going to make the difference in depth from him to David Quesenberry. It's just so that's that that was an issue that kind of goes into Dorsey's favor. But it does seem like that Dorsey's going to be back, based on what we heard not only from Josh Allen, who was. Typically, Josh Allen doesn't say much when it comes to his news conferences. Like, he says words, many of which are kind of cliche. And he's he's done a really good job of, you know, not saying a ton while up there and still taking accountability for his own actions while not, I guess, firing up people outside the building whether it be or people inside the building too whether it be teammates or opposing teams that they're going to be going up against he's always been that way very a very PR friendly uh, quarterback Josh Allen but the one point in his season ending news conference that he you know got a little bit more fired up than normal was when talking about Ken Dorsey's Ken Dorsey and whether or not, you know, there is room to grow. And he is of the belief that there's a lot of room to grow. And he he said something along the lines of, I know recency bias is a thing and everyone's going to lose their minds off the most recent game, but, you know, he he trusts him implicitly. And if you're starting quarterback who handpicked the offensive coordinator, basically, after Brian Dayball left, and who the entire Bills operation admitted that it was very important to them to get an offensive coordinator in place that Josh Allen for the lack of a better term signs off on or wants there then that quarterback's words are going to mean a lot more than say a guy who is not entrenched as the franchise quarterback, like say, I don't know, let's, let's go with I don't know, Mike White. <laughs> Just like it, it's different levels here. And for Allen to come out and say something that strongly in favor of the offensive coordinator, that's the first one where it's like, okay, if they fire Ken Dorsey, he's going to be pissed. And then the second thing was the the next day when Brandon Bean spoke, he used the terminology heading into year two or going into year two when referencing Ken Dorsey, which outside of Allen's words was the strongest sign of any that that, uh, Ken Dorsey would in fact be back for a second season. Now, is it 
a good idea? That's debatable. To me, if I were the one making the decisions, I would really think long and hard about if Dorsey and what we saw from Dorsey this past year will be enough to get them to a point where they are more unpredictable in offense, getting the most out of Josh Allen on a weekly basis, and they're in getting more out of the wide receiver group on a weekly basis. But if it starts to become stagnant again in 2023, then you have to wonder what the the overall scope of how strong of a hold he has on the job will be. I brought this up on the podcast. Like if this was a few years ago, or brought this up on the last episode, I should say, if this was a few years ago and you're trying to figure out whether or not to bring back Ken Dorsey, it's an obvious yes, because they are, they were still ascending, still building the talent around Josh Allen. Josh Allen was still kind of coming into his own. Like it's, it was just different terms. And then this time around in 2022, it's a first time offensive coordinator taking over a Super Bowl contender and the offense taking somewhat of a step back and for them to still be in that Super Bowl window with a lot of guys who are right in their prime or right at the end of their prime on the roster still under contract you don't want to mess around with with that sort of timing so I understand both sides. I understand why they, they're they going to hang on to Ken Dorsey. I just, I wondered if it was worth more than just an automatic, oh yeah, he'll be back. You know, he could, he could come out next year, do a lot of studying in the offseason about his own tendencies, what worked, what didn't, and, and be a prolific person play caller and then all of these conversations would have been foolish and that could happen I, I will be you know I, I will definitely admit if I'm wrong to at least think about it but the window of a franchise quarterback is not something to take lightly especially when you have a good team around that quarterback And to take for granted that it will always be that way, I think is a dangerous game to play. Because let's look at what makes Josh Allen great. If what gives defenders such fits about him is how he's able to manufacture things when it looks like plays are dead, whether it be with his own mobility to gain yards on the ground or getting out from the pocket and delivering a ridiculous throw while he's rolling to his right. Those are heartbreaker plays. And Allen has shown a knack for doing those often throughout his career. 
And he still probably has another one, two, three, maybe four years of doing that at a, at a high level. I think four might be pushing it based on the type of uh, the type of uh, pounding that his body is on the receiving end of based on how many hits that he takes. So to think that it will always be the same before he has to kind of pivot into a different brand of winning on offense a bit more. It's just a... That's why it's at the very least a consideration to maximize this version of Josh Allen before he has to kind of shift into it. And I know, I know how old he is and he's, he's still in his twenties. He's still in his prime, everything like that. So this is not an immediate concern by any means, but that's why it is so important to have the right play caller in place because you know it's going to be there in 2023. It's probably going to be there in 2024. It might be there in 2025. But by that point, Allen will be entering his age, what is it, 29 season in 2025? Is he still going to be that that same chance-taking, um, big-hit-taking quarterback in three years? That's That's a conversation that I'm sure they should have. So that, that was the whole genesis of the Dorsey point, but I won't, I won't hang on it too much longer. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. But Bean's press conference, I thought, outside of the Dorsey stuff, was 
interesting with with some of the the comments that he made throughout throughout it and I'll I'll touch on some some of the things that stood out to me albeit a lot more brief than the whole Dorsey conversation but the thing that that stood out more than anything is Brandon Bean sounds like he means it when it comes to uh them being severely handcuffed by the salary cap this this offseason. You know, I know everyone will kind of point to Bean making a comment about not making a big signing last offseason, right around the end of the season, and then going out and signing Von Miller. But he was asked about that because he, he made another um, made another comment about it saying when he said you know th- there's not going to be a, a a big signing this year so he was asked about exactly that in this press conference because you know taking into consideration what he had just said earlier in the day and then comparing it to what he said last year with saying they wouldn't make any big signings. And it was basically a flat-out not going to happen because Bean said, Vaughn is that ticket for this year too because we have to pay him this year. And with how much cap space that is now going to be taken up by, uh, by the Josh Allen contract in 2023... Combined with a lot of the other team or a lot of the other players that they have kind of shifted some of their cap space around to make more room for 2022, it's going to make it really tough. Like here's some of the cap numbers that the Bills have in 2023 already. Josh Allen, 39.78 million. Stefan Diggs. 20.27, 20.27, I'll just I'll just do it to one decimal. 20.3 million. Von Miller, 18.7 million. Tredavious White, 16.2 million. Deion Dawkins, 14.8 million. Matt Milano, 13.3 million. Mitch Morse, 11.2 million. Ed Oliver, 10.8 million. Micah Hyde, 10.6 million. Taron Johnson, 9.3 million. Daquan Jones, 8.6 million. Dawson Knox, 6.4 million. So I just rattled off 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 players that are all above a $5 million cap hit, many of which are 10 and above, three of which are 15 and above, and one, Josh Allen, is almost at 40 million. Like their cap stuff is is very real. And there are some things that they can do to create some space. But that's just to kind of get them out of the negative or gas them up enough for a re-signing of a pivotal player. Or put together, you know, some modest free agent signings. They don't have like they have over twenty 
free agents this upcoming year. Some are bigger than others, obviously. But they have to put together a roster. And so it's at the it's at the point where you don't want to assign another 15 plus million contract, 10 plus million dollar contract to a player that wasn't in your building to begin with and when you have to fill out somewhere around like 13, 14 roster spots. It's just the allocation issue, which becomes a major factor for them. So I do take Bean for face value this year because he was pretty adamant that they're not going to do a a big, big ticket signing anymore. I do think that they'll have enough space to figure out how to to keep one of their big free agents, upcoming free agents. And I think that would be a wise investment for them. um, Given how much of an impact that they could have on the team, a lot more than, say, an out-of-the-building free agent. Because those are always the flashy ones, obviously, and and creates a, a new energy. But for someone, in, and the, the only two that, that are worth talking about here are Jordan Poyer and, and Jermaine Edmonds. The one thing that, that those guys have over all of the free agents outside the building is that the Bills know exactly how those players will impact their team in a positive manner. They know everything about them. They know they know who they who they are personally. They know how they work. There's no homework to be done there. They understand exactly what that player is and what and they have a good feeling on what that player can be years down the line. Which is why I think some of the comments about Tremaine Edmonds really stood out to me because it really felt like both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, uh, I don't know if rave is the right word, but it was a very strong review from, from both of those individuals about how Tremaine Edmonds played this year. And Edmonds is going to be a pretty popular person in free agency, I would assume. I mean, he's entering his age 25 season, turns 25 on May 2nd. Probably has a good five to seven years before his play goes downhill from a prime perspective. And with some New money probably coming into the salary cap down the line. You can justify going and bringing him back. Plus, you know you're not going to have to completely go crazy in the first year with, with his contract. You can structure it in a way that makes sense for for the bills and get a, a relatively low cap hit in the first year. 
you know, I don't know if it's going to be quite at the level of Dawson Knox's 6.4 million, but you know, I think somewhere in the range of like eight to nine million for that first year, I think the Bills can can find the means to to do just that. They've got some players that they can cut, and we'll be getting to, into some of that in uh, in future episodes. But there are some options that they have to try and figure out some enough cap space to bring Edmonds around. I think it's important for them because we saw how much different this defense was when one of Edmonds or Milano wasn't out there. And it was such a an such a, a revealing sign that in the Bengals game the Bills chose to make Terrell Bernard, the third-round pick, rookie linebacker, that a lot of people had tabbed to replace Tremaine Edmonds in 2023. It was a healthy scratch. Fell on the depth chart behind both A.J. Klein and Tyrell Dodson. And he was not sniffing the field, even in garbage time. And that's a bit of an issue for a rookie player because you want them to get reps throughout their rookie season when you can. But for them to continue putting A.J. Klein and Tyrell Dotson in those situations over Terrell Bernard, that's not exactly a strong sign for a rookie season. It's not to say that he's he's done, he'll never be a starter, but I think the overwhelming sense that he could be in the starting conversation is out the door. I don't think you would be able to justify saying that you've you've seen enough to warrant him being in the starting lineup next to Milano. I think that becomes a major issue. And the one game that he did play early on in the season did not go well. And it was a rookie player, so you don't want to completely crush his entire rookie season for that but I've said it all the time you have to go based on actions of the franchise and what they have shown through those actions you know words are fine actions are more important and having Klein and Dodson over him on the depth chart and considering him an expendable piece for the divisional round game, not promising. So that's why Edmonds, to me, makes so much sense, more than just Bernard. He raises the level of the defense. He has really come into his own in 2022. I think he was a little bit misunderstood before the 2022 season. And I remember writing a piece about him. I don't know if it was 2021 or 2020. I think it was 2021. Or it was early on in the season about why it was such a he was such a polarizing figure to fans because it's it was either oh this guy sucks or wow he's really good and he can be really good and there wasn't a lot in between. But that seemed to have shifted this year. I think people for the most part, have understood how important he he is to the entire operation. And pairing him with Milano is just... They're, they're effectively the new Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, if we're being frank. 
And I know that they play different positions, obviously. But having that duo in place gives you the time. And this is this is more of like a roster theory sort of thing that, that I'll get into here. By having that strength of your defense to where you can cover up so much by having those two guys. That's That has been what Poyer and Hyde have been for years and years and years. And Milano and Edmonds had been doing that on their rookie deal to where you know they were starting to come into their own, becoming plus starters for the Bills. And all the while, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were on these, not like break the bank contracts, but substantial contracts to their cap and patrolling the back end. So this, to me, is an opportunity to kind of reverse it. Have Milano and Edmonds sign for the long term at linebacker. Know you have that filled in. Same thing with Taron Johnson. Locked in. Prime of his career. Had the best year of his career so far, in my opinion. So those are your three guys, or three linebackers, finger quotes, because they consider Taron Johnson, even though he's a nickel corner, to be their third linebacker because that's their base defense. And at safety, let's say they move on from Jordan Poyer. They kept the door open. But I think the expectation of what Poyer wants and what the Bills are willing to give are two very different things. So I would not be surprised if that's a let Jordan hit free agency and... Should his market fall flat, let's talk and and keep the line of communication open. But even if that does happen, the Bills still have to figure some things for the future here at that safety spot. Micah Hyde's a free agent after 2023. Who knows if, if he'll be willing to sign back on on a one-year deal or anything like that. We'll find out later in 2023, maybe into the 2024 offseason. That's that's not an immediate threat. But at the very least, they need to have some sort of young piece in place to be able to mold, potentially start in 2023, and then start to fill in that that Milano and Edmonds role only at the safety position where they're on the rookie deal. They're becoming a better starter. And then by the time that their rookie deals are up, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, their their lucrative deals will be ending. They'll be near the end or out of their prime. And then it's just this flip again where you find linebackers and, and start to pay your safeties. Those two, those two positions are so critical, I think, to have right within the Bills scheme that I think it should be a bit of a priority. It's why I was, in the last offseason, talking so much about, hey, Kyle Hamilton might be a thing to think about here, or Dax Hill, or Brian Cook, or uh, Louis Seen. It just seemed like last year would have been an optimal time to strike for a safety of some sort. Now, maybe you do it rather than 
draft Terrell Bernard. Because that's like the, the opposite here, right? Like they, they moved on from A.J. Klein, so they had a gap for their third linebacker spot. But I wonder if maybe that was a bit backwards to where they should have went for a safety as opposed to a linebacker or maybe t- taken a safety in the second round and, and gone after a running back in the third round rather than it being James Cook. Because Cook was, was solid. He wasn't spectacular. Still a lot of mistakes he needs to get through. Pass protection and, and not trying to bolt to the sideline every time he gets the ball are two things that really spring to mind. But was it a bit of a luxury when, when they took him? Was it good value for where they took him? These are all things you have to think about. But that's why I think the, the linebacker and safety Thing should just be kind of like on a on a rotating axis here, where the two guys at one position get paid handsomely, while at the other position, guys are on their rookie deal, and then slowly but surely that thing kind of flips to be the opposite. That's in the in the optimal world for for how they structure their defense. So too long didn't read. They should draft a safety. <laughs> they should invest in one. Top three rounds, I think. That's maybe top four rounds, but I wouldn't go past that without finding some sort of young, long-term answer. And it could be Christian Benford. You know, I, I asked Sean McDermott that if if they were considering that in, in the offseason now that Kair Elam has kind of Put himself in good light, had a really strong postseason, in my opinion, based on watching the film and uh, and trying to figure out who fits where. Dane Jackson's a restricted free agent. I would say he's probably going to be back. So Christian Benford, where does he fit? There is a, there is a pretty um, big need to add some, some players that could compete for playing time at safety. And I think Christian Benford showed enough in zone coverage and his understanding of it to think that he might make a pretty good safety. So he's one to keep an eye on. I, you know, if, if I had to guess, I would say that Benford probably opens up as a safety, but that's just basing it on white being back in full Kair Elam looking like he's going to be the starter next year. Taron Johnson being locked in. Saran Neal being a part of the equation. Dane Jackson probably being a part of the equation. That's already five. So where does Christian Benford fit in? Could be depth for you, but if it's me, I I want to see what he has at at that other position to see if he can be a long-term starter because right now you have two long-term starters at cornerback in, in White and Elam to try and figure out the other position as you move forward in 2023 and beyond. So that's the linebacker safety position in general. The other spot spots I wanted to touch on that being talked about, I'll first go with Devin Singletary, the running back, because he is a free agent as well. I did not get the impression that they're going to be going out of their way to re-signing Devin Singletary. They liked what he did, and they they liked how consistent he was and and how he developed over the years. But 
by no means was it the rave review that they had for someone like Tremaine Edmonds or by no means it was it like a defending of the position, a defending of the player that it was for Spencer Brown, which we'll get to. It's just kind of a, yeah, we like him. We'll see what happens sort of deal. That's that's basically the genesis of the Devin Singletary answer to me. Yeah, we like him, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Caps, caps hard this year. I wouldn't close the door on Devin Singletary returning because I think there exists a world where Devin Singletary goes to free agency, doesn't find what he likes, and signs a, a one-year deal to come back to Buffalo because it could give him another crack at it next year. But I don't think the Bills would go out of their way to sign him to a two- to three-year contract. Maybe I'm wrong, but they've they've just always been trying to replace him with someone. And they never got themselves to find that player. Because Singletary was just good enough. He's one of those guys, just good enough, you can probably find someone better that raises the level of your offense. I think that's where it that's where it kind of boils down. And then Spencer Brown, the uh Bean was pretty I don't know if defiant is the word. He definitely defended Spencer Brown's honor in in that press conference. Because Brown had a tough season, no doubt. One of the one of my lowest graded players throughout the entire season, I think might have been fourth lowest, if I if I remember correctly. Second lowest graded starter. The um, the only one graded lower was left guard Roger Saffold. Just had a a nice beginning to his season, and then once again kind of hit a wall and just was not the consistent piece that they needed. But Bean was, he defended Spencer Brown and saying, you know, he was dealing with a back injury, didn't have a natural offseason, had to had to deal with like a, had to manage the back, really didn't get much of a training camp. They didn't think he would play the first week of the season. He winds up playing. So they, they like his toughness. And that totally... Deserves credit, all of that, for getting himself ready for week one. But it is also a results-based business. And I don't know that the Bills can go into this offseason seeing what they saw on film from Spencer Brown. And a lot of this, a lot of the mistakes that he made as a rookie were repeated, whether it being oversetting or, you know, being slow to react, getting his putting his head down in a matchup. Seeing those mistakes repeated is not something where it's like, okay, he deserves the benefit of the doubt and and he needs to be in the starting lineup in year three. I didn't see enough flashes throughout the 2022 season that made me went, yeah, it's it's worth at least making him the starter to begin the year. Another thing that Bean brought up was, 
You know, he didn't didn't play football before his draft year because of the COVID year, uh, coming from a small school, all this stuff. Like they really like the fact that he is huge, he is nasty, and he can move. Those are his three most promising traits. But if he can't get the technique side of it down, then there's only so much that the athleticism and the nasty demeanor can make up for. So I understand why he's defending Spencer Brown because Spencer Brown very well could end up being their starting right tackle again next year. I don't know if it's necessarily a position that they're going to look to draft in a considerable way this year. I think a more likely approach would be finding a veteran player that could start. Maybe getting getting that player in on a three, four million dollar deal, like somewhere in the Roger Saffold range, but someone that has a bit more game left in them than Roger Saffold did in 2022. I think that's that's the realm I'm thinking here. And I'm sure being a member of the Bills offensive line, blocking for Josh Allen with the potential that it could be a high flying offense would be a pretty promising thing to maybe a player trying to uh, get another crack at free agency. Maybe they're like in the 27 to 29 range, 27 to 30 range. And market falls flat for one reason or another and getting the chance to to compete to be the starter for Josh Allen. That would be pretty uh, appealing to a lot of potential free agents out there. So that's that sort of side of it. The rest of the offensive line is a, is a bigger conversation that we'll get into in, in future weeks because there needs to be some stuff that happens this offseason. And, I mean, number one, they need a left guard, but I think it goes deeper than that. And I think the Bills need to look themselves in the mirror with a lot of things that have to do with their offensive line and and figure out what they're going to be and have a, a plan longer than just one year. They need better depth. They need better starters. And they need to help Josh Allen more than they did this year. And that was one of my biggest takeaways from the Bengals film. And I know we'll get into the specifics of the offensive line in a future episode, but my biggest takeaway from watching the Bengals film this week was Allen did not trust his offensive line. And it's been happening for longer than just the Bengals game, but because they didn't have any offensive result, it was a, a lingering factor to me. Because at the first sign of, of trouble, Allen was on the move. And I think back to 2020 and 2021 when they were at their best and when Allen was just dealing from the pocket, making these micro moves in the pocket because he trusted the guys in front of him to pick up a player that was about to come free or, you know, if if there was a another offensive lineman that was on another combo block, trusting that that player would get to the 
the defender that was was starting to wiggle free from his initial assignment to where Allen would would just like one little micro move keep his his eyes down the field and find the target and what's different from the Cincinnati game and I know like I like I stated before Josh Allen in news conferences when you listen to him he'll always stick up for his guys never going to throw anybody under the bus especially his offensive line he thinks um, he thinks they they always block their tails off do a great job in front of him of every, everything like that but the overwhelming theme is words are one thing actions are more equitable and the actions of Josh Allen against the Bengals and in other games was that when something when things started to break down just a little bit Allen was usually on the move and it took away opportunities to see some of his receivers pop open against zone coverage took away opportunities to go through all his progressions and see the full field it forced him into this previous version of himself and that was not their formula to becoming one of the best offenses in the league so the offensive line Spencer Brown left guard potentially more yeah, I, I tend to think we're going to be talking a lot about that this offseason. All right. So I think this is a good way to kind of kick off the offseason. Um, we will be doing another show next week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that one. Don't know what way, what day I will record. It will be sometime mid to later in the week. And we'll go over a bit more of what some of the things the Bills can do to give themselves some room, maybe uh, an, an early look at some of their free agents outside of just Poyer and Edmonds, and and a lot more uh, in addition to that. So that'll do it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this off-season version of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thank you, as always, and I look forward to having many, many, many off-season conversations with all of you because... The season is fun, but the off-season can be just as fun. I live by those words. <laughs> All right, so thank you to everyone, and we will talk to you next time. See you then.